today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. It's like Jesus saying, Hey, did you forget? You're saved. Why are you stressing out? Why are you freaking out? Why are you so worried and so concerned about everything that is happening? You know, sometimes we live our lives like we're not saved, or we forget that we're saved. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Song of Songs. As you listen to today's message with Pastor J.D., take a moment to be still. The things of the world may seem chaotic and unpredictable, but the Lord is steady. So why stress about the things of the world when Jesus, who is the light of the world, promises you a life of peace with the Father? Worry not and rest in Him. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Song of Songs, Chapter 1, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. The Song of Solomon, also known as the Song of Songs. So last week we completed our study through Ecclesiastes. We're going to start in the Song of Solomon, a very interesting book in the Bible. Uh, In some ways it can be considered a controversial book in the Bible. Rabbis would not allow the young Jewish uh, men and women to read this book until they were like 30 years of age, which will be the age that I'll, if the Lord tarries, allow my daughter to start dating. I was thinking about 30, 35, something like that. But uh, interesting book uh, for those of you who know about this book or who read ahead to stay ahead, you know what's in this book. Uh, It's a multifaceted book in the sense that it can be read as a love song between Solomon and his bride and or a love song between Jesus and his bride. So I spent some time really preparing in anticipation of starting this book tonight, seeking the Lord about how He would have me to teach this book. And I did make the decision, as I sense the Lord led me in this direction, to teach this as a love song, a love letter, if you prefer, concerning the love that Jesus has for us as His bride, and conversely, the love that we have for Jesus as His bride. Now, in so doing, I in no way wish to turn away from the unashamed intimacy that is expressed within the pages of this book, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, Quite frankly, this is a book about sex and the sexual relationship Uh, within the context of the marriage relationship. And I say it that way because sadly, God created sex, but Satan perverted sex. 
And I think it's kind of sad because in a way we've thrown out the proverbial baby with the bathwater, for lack of a better metaphor. And Satan in large measure has succeeded in marring, ruining, spoiling, perverting that which God created to be so beautiful, so special, and so amazing. So I'm not going to turn away, I'm not going to shy away from it. That's not to say that I'm going to in any way be inappropriate. (laughs) Well, I should qualify that. I'll do my best. I mean, right out of the chute tonight, chapter one is going to get a little bit interesting. A couple of verses, we'll have to talk about this. But um, I do uh, very much look forward to teaching through this book, and I trust that it will be a blessing to you an encouragement to you. And it is my hope that it will serve as a much needed reminder of the importance of intimacy with God, intimacy with Jesus, communion with Jesus. And it is so easy, if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, to get caught up in the cares and the affairs of this life and we're going to see it here in chapter one, it's that just getting alone with Jesus. It's just coming away and getting alone and spending time, intimacy with Jesus, communion with Jesus. I tell you, there's so much. It's going to come out as we're about to see, but it's that much needed perspective. You've heard that expression, you could be so close to the tree you can't see the forest. You know, sometimes you just have to turn it off, walk away. And there's this reminder, and it comes by way of the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And (laughs) you'll forgive me for the simplicity of this, but it is simple. It's like Jesus saying, hey, did you forget? You're saved. Why are you stressing out? Why are you freaking out? Why are you so worried and so concerned about everything that is happening? You know, sometimes we live our lives like we're not saved, or we forget that we're saved, and that soon and very soon Jesus is coming, that trumpet's going to sound, and we're out of here. I can't wait. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. All right, good start. Here's the thing. First Kings chapter 4 tells us that Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. I bet you didn't know that. He was a songwriter. Oh, he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs contains some of those 3,000 Proverbs. But think about this. He wrote 1,005 songs. Interesting, right? And of all the 1,005 songs that Solomon wrote, God deemed it necessary and fit to include this one song, of the 1,005 songs that he had written in our Bibles. Interesting. 
Um, that's why it's the uh, oftentimes referred to as the song of songs. Of all the songs, this is the song of songs. You know how we talk about, this is what we refer to as we're going to talk about, He's the King of Kings. This is the song of songs, the song of all songs. Verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Kind of need to have the music in the background. I'm sorry for the reference. I think it's Barry White, you know, that deep voice. (laughs) Candlelight, you know, dim lights. Let him kiss me. Okay, pastor, you're (laughs) again right out of the chute here. This is speaking of our intimacy with the Lord and our love for the Lord. And the wine speaks of joy and how it is that in the presence of the Lord, like Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, O Lord, is found fullness of joy. It is an unspeakable joy, a fullness of joy. It is a joy like no other, that intimacy with Him. There's a kiss on the cheek, but it's different than the kiss on the mouth. And that's what this speaks to. Verse 3, because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Okay, this speaks to the name, as we know, being the nature. And what she's saying is that just the mention of your name, is a fragrant ointment, a soothing ointment, a calming ointment. Verse 4, draw me away. That's good. Those three words right there, draw me away, because I'm being drawn away by the world and everything that's going on in the world. I want to be drawn away with you taken away from this. She says, we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I was thinking about James, where he writes that, When we draw near to the Lord, He in turn draws near to us. But the prerequisite, if you will, is that we first draw near to Him. God will never force Himself on us. He will never demand that we get away and draw near to Him. Because then, if that were the case, it would go from being a get-to to to a got-to. Can you imagine? Just think about it in the context of a marriage relationship, or even the parenting relationship, the family dynamics. How would that be if your wife, husband, heard you say something to the effect of, oh, I need to spend time with you. Really? (laughs) Hey, don't bother. It's going to be like that. How is it with the Lord? You know, we talk about quiet time, 
our devotional time. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta spend time with the Lord. Can you imagine? The Lord's like, no, I, I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be a want, not a need, not a have to. I want it to be a want to. I want it to be a get to, not a have to, not a got to. It's our move. And it's almost like a request because she asks, draw me away. Almost a plea, if you want to see it like that. Oh Lord, I need to be with you. I want to spend time with you. Draw me away, take me away. I'll run after you. I'll seek hard after you as the deer pants for the water. So too does my soul pant and long after thee. It's the longing of our hearts to be with Him. There's that hunger, that thirst that only He can satiate. Oh, we can try in as much as we think we can to fill that void, satisfy that hunger, that thirst, that longing in our souls. And it only leaves us emptier, hungrier, thirstier. Verse 5 gets kind of interesting here. She says, I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. What's she saying here? Well, you have to understand that in that day, it was not cool to have a tan like it is in our day. Because those that were tanned by the sun, darkened because of the sun, were the laborers, the peasants, the slaves. They're out in the sun all day, and as such they become dark and brown. And if you were not darkened and tanned by the sun, you were seen as, oh, they must be nobility, even royalty. And isn't it interesting that her response is, don't look at me. Don't look upon me. You know, she's in good company. I think of Isaiah, actually on Sunday for the prophecy update, unless the Lord shows me otherwise. I want to talk about Isaiah in chapter 6. A word fitly spoken, I believe, for where we're at today. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, and it shook Isaiah to the core because he was a king, a godly king, one of only eight kings that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He was a good king. And he reigned, get this, for 52 years. And his reign was marked by peace and prosperity and stability and calm under his righteous reign. And then he dies. And now here's Isaiah. What are we going to do? <laughs> this is uh, kind of earth shaking. So he looks up, and what does he see? He sees the Lord seated on the throne, not pacing back and forth 
wringing his hands, biting his nails before the throne. Could you imagine that? <laughs> what are we going to do? Lord, did you see what happened on Tuesday? No, what happened? Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? No, they're contesting. There's the states, and now they, could you imagine, when did this happen? God, you're supposed to be all-knowing. You'll forgive the silliness with which I illustrate this, but don't we act like that? Come on. Let's be honest with ourselves. After Tuesday, Tuesday night, we had our prayer meeting here, right? We go home. Really? Wednesday morning, we wake up. Really? So, <laughs> like Isaiah, it has the potential to shake us to the core. And when he looks to the throne and sees the Lord seated on the throne, his robe just filling the temple, and it is just so overwhelming, the holiness of God, that he just he says, woe to me. Don't look at me. I am unclean. I have unclean lips, which is an interesting thing for him to say. So a seraphim takes a coal from the altar and touches his lips and sanctifies his lips. But in the presence of the Lord, like her, she's don't look upon me. Get away from me. I'm not worthy. Peter did the same thing in the boat when he realized it was the Lord. He said, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And then John on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation, in the presence of the Lord, he fell on his face as though dead. What's my point? My point is this, when you behold the glory of the Lord, it brings you to your face, it ruins you. It ruins you, it humbles you. Verse 7, tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions. This verse here, verse 7, is one of the main reasons why I am choosing to teach this this way, because this king is also a shepherd. That's Jesus. He's our good shepherd, and he's also our king. Verse 8, if you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. This has the idea of being a part of the flock of God, fed by God. Again, this is a love song. It's a love story. I think about when Jesus restored Peter, and he asked him three questions, because Peter had denied Jesus three times, and he knew what Jesus was doing. 
And all three questions had to do with Peter's love for Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. Why the emphasis on feeding the flock of God? Because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It is the word of life. Verse 9. Everybody okay so far? We've got one more verse, going to get a little bit gnarly, for lack of a better word. Verse 9, I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. <laughs> Guys, listen, I would not recommend that you compare your wife to a horse. Just don't do that, I'm just saying. He's comparing her to a prized horse, a prized possession, this prized filly, and it speaks to, as we're going to see next, her value. And rightfully so, because in his eyes she is seen as so valuable, but in her eyes she's not worthy. Don't look upon me. Verse 10, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Please don't think that they pierce their cheeks and put in, you know, jewelry. That's, they would wear these head bands that had, you know, the jewels that would hang down over their cheeks. You've probably seen pictures of that. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We, interesting word, one has suggested, it's speaking of the Trinity, we, we will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. A lot of typology here. First of all, the gold, of course, speaks to divinity, and it also speaks to value. And it also speaks to how, like our faith, it's like gold that God purifies and makes more valuable. How? By subjecting it to intense heat to bring to the surface all of the impurities. And then when the heat brings all of the impurities to the top, the goldsmith then takes and scrapes the dross off of it, and then he knows he has pure gold when he can see his image reflected in that gold. That is valuable. Dare I say, priceless. It's easy to read through the book of Song of Songs and think it only applies to couples. But the Word of God is always inclusive. This means you can glean something from every page, no matter who you are. So don't let your social status, job, age, or how long you've been a Christian hinder you from diving into the Bible. It's full of wisdom that you can apply to your life. As you listened to Pastor J.D.'s message today, we pray your faith was impacted in a powerful way. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear others like it, just visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. There you'll find an archive of teachings as well as other helpful tools in your walk with the Lord. 
We always love to hear from our listeners, too. If you have a specific prayer request or any questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us through our contact form on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. You'll find it under the About tab. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd love to connect and have you join us for our worship services. Always feel free to bring your friends and family along, too. It's a great time of fellowship and learning about God with Pastor J.D. Be sure to let us know that you're a listener of In Spirit and Truth when you visit. You can find out more about Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at our website or find us on our media platforms to stay up to date with all things concerning Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Thanks for being part of our study here today. We hope you'll tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth. Holding me true to